Uh, good morning and happy Independence Day weekend. Um, isn't it great that we live in a free country that we can still gather together um, without fear to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I pray that we never take the freedom that we have been afforded to us in this nation for granted. It really is a blessing, the nation that we live in. Now last Sunday I took a break from preaching from Romans chapter 15 since I believed that God had a different message for us. Um, I'm being prepared for any deception that may come our way in this world. Now for this Sunday, I planned on picking back up from Romans chapter 15. However, what God has been teaching me more and more lately is that my plans don't always fit into his plans, even if I think my plans are good, which is something that I, I think that God wants me to talk to you all about today. So before we begin, let me first apologize. I said that we would be back in Romans chapter 15 this week, but we will not be. We'll be in the book of 2 Samuel, <laughs> chapter 6 and 7, the Old Testament. And there are three points that God, I believe, wants me to get across to you, everyone, today. These, pro these points, they should be up on the screen, are this. And they're regarding our plans and God's plans, or versus God's plans. The first point is this, is there is a subtle difference between a good idea and God's will. The second point is God's presence cannot be contained within a building or within our own personal plans. And the last point that I believe that God wants me to get across to you today is our personal plans may get interrupted, which could lead to frustration. But we need to understand there is an everlasting kingdom that we should always be focused upon. Now, I want to share a story that I read that I sort of think relates to today's message and even if it doesn't relate, I thought it was a funny story to start off the morning with. There was a young woman who brought her fiancé home to meet her parents. After dinner, the young woman's mother told her husband to find out more about the young man their daughter was choosing to marry. So the father invited his, his daughter's fiancé into his study for a talk. When they got to the study, the father asked the young man, so what are your plans? I'm going to be a biblical scholar, the young man replied. A biblical scholar? Hmm, the father said. Admirable. But how will you buy my daughter a beautiful wedding ring, such as she deserves, asked the father. He says, I will concentrate on my studies. And then God will provide for us. And what will you do to provide a nice house for my daughter to live in, asked the father. I will study, the young man replied, and God will provide for us. And children, asked the father, how will you support children? Don't worry, sir. God will provide, replied the fiancé. Later that evening, the girl's mother asked her husband, how does your conversation go, honey? What did you learn from our, about our future son-in-law? 
The father answered, I learned he has no job, he has no plans, and he thinks that I'm God. (laughs) (laughs) And what about you and me? Do we have any plans for the future? And if so, do our plans line up with God's plans for our lives? This morning we'll be in the book of 2 Samuel for us to take a look at how our plans might not always line up with God's plans. Even if we think that those plans that we have are good and we think that we're obeying God or being obedient to him. So let's get right into 2 Samuel chapter 6. By this time, if you don't know about 2 Samuel, um, it's written by the prophet Samuel and um, First and Second Samuel um, outlines the beginning of First Samuel is about Samuel's life, how he was born, the prophet, going into how the Israelites demanded a king. David was the second king that God appointed over, anointed over Israel. And by this time, in Second Samuel chapter six, David is already king over all of Israel. Now, if you're not aware. David being the second king, the Israelites had a plan for a king. And as I mentioned, their first king was King Saul. And the reason the Israelites wanted a king, why they had a plan for a king, was so they can be like all the other nations around them. Now that wasn't a very good motive. If the people's motive, the Israelites' motive, was to have a king to lead them to follow God? Now that would have been a good motive to ask for a king. But God knew his people's hearts. So God tried talking his people out of having a king through his prophet Samuel. But the people insisted that they wanted a king, so God told Samuel to give them their king. The Israelites' plan did not turn out so well for them. A man by the name of Saul was first anointed king over all of Israel. Now Saul's rule began well following God's lead, but over time Saul's pride got in the way, and he began disobeying God. So God eventually had enough with Saul and then had the prophet Samuel anoint a young boy by the name of David to lead his people. And in 2 Samuel Chapter 6, David is already king, and he wants to, in this part of the scripture, he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back up to Jerusalem, the capital, which the Ark holds the Ten Commandments of God. Now the Ark of the Covenant, if you don't know, was very sacred to God and his people. As I mentioned, it held the Ten Commandments within it. And decisions on what to do with the Ark of the Covenant, were not to be taken lightly. Because God already laid out the detailed instructions in Exodus for the Israelites on how to handle the Ark, which was during the days of Moses and the high priest Aaron. By the time David was serving as king, the capital of Israel was moved to Jerusalem. However, the Ark of the Covenant still was not brought to the city. It was still contained within the tabernacle tent, within the Holy of Holies, where God said it should be. So starting in verse 1 of Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6, it says this. David again brought together 
out of Israel, chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that sit, that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of a, this word, this, this name is so hard, um, Abinadab, that's Abinadab, I think I'm pronouncing that right, were guarding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps and with lyres and tambourines and sistrums, and symbols. Now so far in this account, everything seems to be going as planned. Everything seems to be going good. I mean, David consulted with his advisors and even brought 30,000 men to bring the Ark of the Covenant back up to Jerusalem. David even thought it was a good plan to have God's sacred Ark with his people in the capital. David appeared to be taking this plan seriously and even with reverence to God. David and all his men even go along for the ride to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. As we read, David and his people are celebrating and singing praises to God as they carry the ark on a brand new nice cart back to the capital. How could God get angry about this? After all, isn't the king and God's people honoring God and his sacred ark? Well, let's see. We will see that David's well-thought-out plan wasn't in line with God's plan. Starting in verse 6, it says, When they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled and the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Now that is what you call a big oopsie daisy. I'd say the celebration ended pretty quickly right there. What happened here? The first thing we need to take note of is all the way back in the first couple verses of this chapter. David sort of did the right thing concerning moving the ark. He consulted with his people, many of them as a matter of fact. But there was someone who was very important that David neglected to consult with before moving the ark. God. He never asked God whether the ark should be moved or how it should be moved. Moving the sacred ark of the covenant again was not something to be taken lightly. God's word was very clear about this. God's instructions were that the ark was to be contained within the tabernacle, within the holy of holies, which only the high priest could enter. And if the ark was ever to be moved, 
according to the word of God and his instructions. It was only to be moved with certain reverence by the priestly Levites who God appointed to take care of his sacred ark from the time of Moses. God's word is very clear about that concerning who was allowed to handle the Ark of the Covenant and how it should be moved. And because of David's big mistake of not consulting with God to determine what God's will and what his plans were, someone paid a very heavy price. Man. Even though David at first believed his plan was a good plan and would be honoring to God, just say this. Be careful when making plans. You may think that your plan is a good one and is honoring to God, but you may find out the hard way that your plan is not in line with God's plan. So let's get back to the very first point that I mentioned this morning that God wants me to get across to every one of you today. There is a subtle difference between a good idea and God's will. Not knowing or paying attention to this subtle difference will thankfully not always cost you your life, such as what happened to poor Uzzah. But nonetheless, it can cost you a lot of your peace and cause you a lot of frustration in your life because your life plans or personal plans, are not in line with God's plan for your life and his will for your life. Oftentimes in life, recognizing this subtle difference can make all the difference in your life to give you the joy that God wants you to have and God wants you to receive. Let me just give you a couple examples of this. I'll give you one example about serving God through his church. Jesus calls all followers, we know, to serve him in some form or another through the church. There are different ministries you can get involved in, in this church and even outside this church. But I would highly suggest, before getting involved in any ministry, you consult with God first about it through prayer and through his word. Don't take that time lightly. Make sure you're following God's plans for the ministries that he wants you to serve in. Now, I was a youth pastor for quite a few years before becoming an assistant pastor and eventually a lead pastor. And when when I first was called into ministry, I wasn't sure if youth ministry was for me. As a matter of fact, I've said this many times before, my wife signed me up for youth ministry. I don't know, when I saw that, I was like, why is my name on the youth ministry sign-up sheet? Um, In this case, it didn't fit my personal plans to do youth ministry. However, God has a way to show you through prayer and through his word and through other believers, such as my wife, that that was the place he wanted me to serve at least for a few seasons. And the same thing with me becoming an assistant pastor and eventually a lead pastor. In every step, I really did go into prayer 
to make sure this is what God wanted me to do. And if it didn't fit my plans or his plans, if his plans didn't fit into my personal plans, I obeyed him. If my personal plans went against God's plans, I put my personal plans aside. However, I also knew through prayer that I was not called to lead certain other ministries in the church. Now, that didn't mean that I got to use that as an excuse, such as through children's ministries. My wife, she's been called to lead the children. She does a very good job at it. And sometimes she asks me to serve in children's ministries, even though I know God has not called me to serve in children's ministries or to minister to children. Or let me correct that. He's not called me to lead children's ministries. But we are called to minister to all people of all ages. So when my wife asks me to volunteer in the children's ministries, I obey God and I obey my wife. <laughs> but you see, the point on all this with the ministries, whatever God calls you to do, consult with him first. Because if you don't, consult with him first. Your ministry is bound to fail. But it's not just ministry decisions where we can miss those subtle differences between our plans and God's plan. For the believer, big life decisions will often have big ramifications if the believer, and even the unbeliever, doesn't recognize or refuses to recognize those subtle differences between their, your personal plans and God's plans. Such as, I'll just give you a few examples for the young people. Where should I go to college? Should I go to college? Should I get married to this person? Whether to have children, career choices, changing jobs, moving away to another town or city. My friend Dan Zipsy, who just moved away, him and I prayed. And he asked me to pray for him, and he was making that decision. That's wise. But God answered, and God said it was time for them to move. I didn't like that answer, but God's in charge. Even choices that may not seem like a big deal, such as buying a brand new car, that is a big purchase and a lot of money to spend. Have you ever asked and stopped and asked God through prayer about purchasing a brand new car? Have you ever asked God whether he wants you to have that particular car that is on your heart to purchase? Because maybe God has some other ideas for that money that you were about to spend. Maybe God has um, for instance, ideas that you may or know that you may not have a job. Because you don't know that, but maybe, but God does. Maybe you won't have a job in three months. Maybe God knows. I know he does, if that's the case. That he doesn't want you to buy that car. Consult with him first. What if God knows that there's someone that's going to come to you who's in need? in the next week or days ahead, and you don't have enough money to help them with that personal need. 
I realize there's no exact science behind this, recognizing those subtle differences, and whether your decisions are in line with God's plans. And sometimes recognizing those subtle differences are easy by consulting his word, such as through tithing. God's word in the Bible is very clear about tithing. He gives us instructions to lay aside a portion of our income for the ministries of his church before spending money anywhere else. That's called giving your first fruits back to the church. Or back to God, most, more accurately. But other decisions are not that clear. And that's where prayer definitely comes into play. God will always check your spirit through prayer if you are about to make a decision that is not in line with his plans and his will for your life. But you will never hear from God unless you are listening to him through prayer. So just all decisions, especially the big ones. I'll be blunt about it. If you are a follower of Christ and are not consulting with God through his word and through prayer for all your life choices and all your plans, you are most likely going to fall into disobedience because it is easy to get away from God's plan for your life, especially when your plan seems good or harmless. The next point on our list this morning is this. God's presence cannot be contained in a building or within our own plans. And let's read the next few verses now from, well, let's, we're going to move on to 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the big oopsie-daisy, the ark was eventually brought back to Jerusalem. And I'm sure no one dared touching it from that point forward on the rest of the journey. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 through 4, it says, After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in the palace of cedar, while the ark of the God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go, tell, go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from, that, from, that, from the day I, was, I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Whenever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? We can see here that David still hasn't learned his lesson from that big mishap he had earlier of moving the ark to begin with. After arriving in his palace in Jerusalem, he immediately has some more great, grand ideas, good thoughts stirring in his head about where to place the ark next to build a grand house, which would become the temple. Have you ever had those stirrings in your head thinking, hey, this is a good idea. I'm sure God will approve of this. When you do, be sure those ideas are coming from God and not from your own excited will. 
I'm an excited kind of guy. A lot of times I have lots of ideas that I think are good. And I've learned the hard way many times that those great ideas weren't so great when God has other ideas in mind. However, this time, thankfully, David had a prophet of God by, God by his side to help David make the right decision. The prophet Nathan immediately recognizes that David has some more good ideas in his head, at least in David's eye. But at first, the prophet Nathan, Nathan doesn't do the right thing. Nathan doesn't consult with God first before responding to David. He basically tells David, sounds like a good plan. Sounds good to me. But being a prophet of God, thankfully, the Lord comes to Nathan later that night to give the prophet more instructions for David, to remind David that God's presence is not to be contained within a building. Since the time of the Exodus, the Israelites were instructed to place the ark, as I mentioned, inside the tabernacle, inside the tent, inside the Holy of Holies. However, if you really are paying attention when you're studying the Old Testament scriptures from the book of Exodus and on, God also instructed his people through the Levites to pick up that tabernacle, to pick up that tent, and keep moving forward, following the cloud that God provided above, which was God's presence. God instructed his people when God moved or the cloud moved, they were to move with the ark. Now this is just sort of a side note for you guys. If you're having difficulties determining whether your plans are in line with God's plans or whether you are actually following God's plan, get with other godly men or women in your life like David had Nathan by his side to pray over the decision you are about to make. Now they may not give you the right answer right away or an answer at all at first, but if they are praying men or women, which they should be if you consider them to be godly men or women, those individuals should come back to you to hopefully redirect the decision you are about to make if it's not in line with God's will. I often turn to godly men in my own life asking them to help me make a right, the right decision, especially on big decisions, because I know they will pray before giving me an answer or at least come back to me with the right answer from God on what they think God should, wants me to do. Now, in verses 8 and 11, God also gives Nathan more instructions to, to relay. And I know there's a lot of scriptures here, but there's, I think it's really important for our lives. God said to Nathan, now, tell, now then, tell my servant David that this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture friend, from following the flock to be ruler over my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the name of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for the people of Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did in the beginning and have done ever since this time I appointed leaders over my people Israel." I, have also, I will also give you the rest from your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. 
Now, I know reading these verses, and a lot of Old Testament verses, it can get a little confusing sometimes. It's like, what is this, what is God saying here? Now, whenever I, and I was, this portion of scripture, when I was reading it the other day, I go, I was a little confused. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. A little bit of laziness on my part. But then I just stopped, and I'm like, okay, what is God trying to say here? In David's case, what is God trying to get across to David in these verses? God wants the prophet, first of all, to remind David where he came from. That David was just a shepherd boy when God came calling to make him king. And remember, David's got all these grand ideas. So you've got to understand where God is looking down. God loves David. He's looking down upon David, seeing, man, my, my servant David needs some correcting here. It was the Lord who gave David his kingdom to be king. The Lord is the giver, and David is the recipient. David needs to understand that. What God is doing in these first few verses of this section of Scripture is that he is trying to humble David. Don't believe for a second that the plans given to you or me to follow God are of your own doing or your own plans. You see, when we are serving God in whatever decisions we make to serve him, if we're in prayer and we're in his word, there's only one who deserves all the glory, God himself, not us. That's what God is telling Nathan to say to David. You see, if you, under, if you read all of 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, you would understand this is what got the previous king, Saul, into trouble with God. Saul tried to take the glory of what God was doing through his rule on himself. And God loves Saul. But Saul would not listen because of his pride. And God loves, loved Saul. David, and he didn't want to see David fall into that same trap. When focusing or following God's will and plan for your life, be careful again who the glory goes to. Sadly, I've heard and seen way too many great pastors and Christians who started off well take a hard fall because their pride got in the way of giving God the glory. We are to follow God's lead while he gets all the glory. We then, as it says in these, this portion of scripture, as he said to David, I'll make your name great. Wow. We're giving God the glory. He's like, I'm going to share it with you, but if you understand where, who deserves the glory, I'll make your name great. You see, that's where true peace is. And joy is found in life. When we're following God's lead, following his will for our life, giving him all the praises, giving him all the glory, he's going to be like, I'm going to lift my servant up, and I'm going to give him my peace, I'm going to give him my joy, and it takes the burden off of you. It's all in God's hands. That's what God's saying to David through his prophet Nathan. 
So throughout the scriptures I shared today, we should know that God is basically telling David this up to this point. It's okay, God is basically saying, to construct a building for my ark as long as you know that I cannot be contained within a building or within a temple. It's instructing David. My people must always follow me out of that building or that temple. My word must go out of that temple. Don't get stuck in the temple. And that applies for us today as well. God is not contained within the walls of this church. We must follow him out of this building. And his word must go with us. God is also saying to David, all the glory belongs to me, not you. You are just my faithful servant. But I will make your name great if you follow my lead. Now, here's the kicker for David. God is about to drop a bombshell on him, which leads to our last point today. Our plans may get interrupted by God's plan. In verses 12 through 13, God tells the prophet to relay this message to David. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed for you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now after David's big grand idea to build God a temple, God comes around and says, okay, let's build one. God then tells David, but that task, not for you. It's for your future son to build. And I will establish his kingdom forever. Now we know from the rest of scripture that it was David's son Solomon who was given the task to go ahead and build the temple of God for Jerusalem. But it wasn't David's son. This verse is very prophetic. It wasn't David's son Solomon's kingdom that would last forever. Solomon died. It was a descendant who was to come through David's line. That descendant would be known as Jesus Christ. Now we're out of time today, but on this last point, let me close with this. David could have taken offense because God wouldn't allow him to move forward with this grand plan to build God this grand temple, even though that plan eventually came in line with God's plan through his son Solomon. But God's plan went well beyond David's life. God's plan stretches throughout all eternity. And we need to remember that as we are thinking about our own personal plans and our personal plans getting interrupted by God. God is a God of eternity. He sees your eternity, my eternity. And sometimes we can grow frustrated when our plans are interrupted by God. But just rest in knowing God has this all figured out. We just need to trust him. That plan that God had that he was trying to get across to David went all the way, started all the way back in the Garden of Eden to raise up the seed from a woman who would become the Messiah, Jesus Christ, through David's line. And David and his future son Solomon were just a very small part of that plan, that very important plan. You see, David couldn't see back then that one day Jesus would return to this earth, the second coming. 
He couldn't see it. He couldn't see what this temple of God, this tabernacle, this ark of this covenant meant. He knew it was important to God, but he didn't see the big picture. You've got to understand the law of God is contained in the ark. And what does the Bible say in the New Testament? Who sits above that law? Jesus Christ. Where is his throne going to be established here on earth? In Jerusalem. And where is he going to be sitting? On the mercy seat in the temple of God. David couldn't see any of that. He might have had a little bit of a glimpse if he knew the word from the Old Testament. But he couldn't see the big picture. You see, we can all be part of God's plan, even if it's a small part. And we will receive the benefits when we follow God's plans for our lives. But make no mistake, it is very important. All the plans that God gives us, even the small ones, are very important little details leading to the return of Jesus Christ. We need what does God tell us to do? To go out and share his word. My Aaron and I were talking the other night ago why Jesus hasn't returned yet. How crazy things are getting in this world sometimes. Why isn't Jesus here yet? Because he's patient. There's people out there that still don't know Jesus. And I know one day Jesus is going to come back and it's going to be too late for those people. But Jesus is patient. The Father is patient. He's saying, we have a job to do. He's got a plan. Are we following his plan? And I can tell you, when the church wakes up to this fact that God has a plan for our lives, for us to go out and share his word and to live the life of the gospel, to live in holiness, to show people Jesus Christ through us, the more we do this and the more people come into a relationship with him, the faster it is that Jesus is going to return. And I want Jesus to return. I'm not afraid of Jesus to return. It's going to be a wonderful day, at least for those who know him, where his throne is set up above the ark of God in the temple. What an awesome day that's going to be. But we need to follow God's plan. So pay attention to all the things you do in your life. All the choices you make, even the ones that are not sinful, that seem good. Pay attention. Pray to God that you're making the right decision, that it's in line with his plan. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I know sometimes when I preach from the Old Testament, it's, it's a lot more scriptures than, it, than it, we use when we preach from your New Testament. Not, not that your New Testament doesn't have profound meaning and profound things for our life, but you're sharing stories from your word of faithful men and women who had to be taught, who had to learn, sometimes hard lessons. But thankful, Lord, I'm so thankful that we have your word that teaches those lessons so we don't stumble like Uzzah stumbled and touched your ark, making the wrong choice, which started by the wrong choice by David. But Lord, your mercy and your grace was there for David. And I know it was there for Uzzah too. We tend to think, man, what, why was Uzzah judged so harshly, Lord? But we know that you had his hands, his life in your hands as well. 
for eternity. Help us remember, Lord, in this church and everyone here today, Lord, help us remember eternity. That we just live a small fraction of that eternal life here on earth. Jesus, thank you. We praise you that you have given us your grace and your love to be able to live forever through you. That even through the mistakes and even through um, the stumbles that we make, Lord, when we are have faith in you, believe in you, and you are in our hearts, Lord, that your grace is enough. Your mercy is always there for those who are willing to come to you to be forgiven. Lord, help us to go out and give that message to others who don't know you. Lord, we love you and we, we need you. In Jesus' name.